0: The background to this passage is in chapter 10, verses 32 to 34. And let me just read that to you. They were on their way up to Jerusalem with Jesus leading the way. And the disciples were astonished while those who followed were afraid. Again, he looked at the tw- took the 12 aside and told them what was going to happen to him. We're going up to Jerusalem, he said. And the Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will, be, will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles who will mock him and spit on him, flog him and kill him. Three days later, he will rise. So this is the background. This is a turning point in Mark's gospel in chapter 10 where the whole narrative points towards going to the capital city of Jerusalem. Now every year students come to Nottingham and quite a number come from places that are not cities. Anyone here in that category tonight? Yeah. Cities are different. Cities are different. Cities are different because they are places of power and especially capital cities. We were in London over the weekend and you only have to walk down any street in the center of London and you see Uh, statements of power and Jesus and his disciples are now going to Jerusalem the center of power as they get towards Jerusalem at the start of chapter 13 the disciples turn to uh, Jesus and they say look teacher what massive stones what magnificent buildings they're impressed by all these symbols of power Uh, We may not have the Shard or the Gherkin or St. Paul's Cathedral, but we have the Council House, we have St. Mary's, we have the Adams Building and the Lace Market. These are all buildings that were built to impress. They were built as symbols of power, whether that was political power or religious power or commercial power. And so in cities, people come to gather together. They are places of protest and demonstration. Extinction rebellion amasses in cities. Pride marches take place in cities. Trade unions demonstrate in cities. Political protests take place in cities and rarely in the Cotswolds. Cities are places of power and they're places where different cultural groups assert themselves Tribes go around in cities, dressed in certain ways, sporting certain haircuts or tattoos. We gather in cities and we become, they become places where different powers converge. And they're often places of confrontation for the gospel. If you read through the Acts of the Apostles, you see Paul going to various cities, very deliberately to cities. Paul didn't get really go to the countryside. He went to the cities. He went to Ephesus. And in Ephesus, he was confronted by the goddess Artemis, the goddess of sexual desire and fertility and uh, by implication by, of trade. And he goes to Athens, and he's confronted by a plethora of gods. And he preaches to the, uh, about the unknown god, the god that everyone was looking for, the power beneath the powers or above the powers. And here Jesus is going to Jerusalem. Here at St. Nick's, there's one sermon series that we have preached uh, quite a few times. It's called Jesus and the City Gods. And we preach it in the autumn term as students come to the city to help them to identify the powers that are at work in the city. We often uh, quote Tim Keller here at St. Nick's, and the reason is that he gets ministry in the cities. And he wrote this essay called Why God Made Cities. And he, he made a few points that cities release our greatest potential. they are also places where that potential converts into idols that we export all over the place. Cities are places of refuge. They're places where homeless people come. They're places where refugees come. They're places of refuge. There's a very positive thing about cities. And there are cities, there are places that compel us to spiritual searching. Because in cities, people are more open to ideas. And when you arrive in a city as a young person, uh, everything really becomes up for grabs. Who am I? Who do I want to be? What do I want to stand for? It's all out there. Cities are places where you see young men running around on Friday night just wearing their underpants. What is all that about? So, cities are places of power, they're places of confrontation. And in this passage on Mark's gospel, uh, the build-up for the greatest confrontation is taking place. The greatest confrontation between powers will take place when Jesus is crucified. And at that point, evil is outmaneuvered. In Colossians chapter 2, Paul writes these words, God forgave us all our sins, Having cancelled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us, he's taken it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. The cross was the biggest power confrontation that this world has ever known. And in that confrontation, God disarmed the powers and authorities. He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross, which is a very paradoxical thing, isn't it? How you look at the cross, you look at Jesus being crucified, you think this doesn't look like victory. As a father, I have engaged in many bouts of wrestling with my children. When they were little, it was easy. They'd all pile on top of me. I'd just roll over and they'd all fall off. When they became teenagers, it became a bit more difficult. And I had to learn that the best way to get rid of them was to let them push and push with all their might at one angle and then just change the angle. And they'd all fall over. At that moment that seemed like defeat, it looked as though I was giving in to their power. They actually... Were overcome. And that's what happened at the cross. Yeah, I know. Great moments. If they did it today, I'd probably just have a heart attack. <laughs> Evil is outmaneuvered by the cross. Jesus absorbed all that hatred, the weakness, into himself. He took it into death but then just as it looked as though the powers of religion and military rule had defeated jesus god raised him from the dead so this is all way of background by way of background really to this encounter in mark chapter 12 but i wanted to give you that because i wanted to set it in a wider framework which really conveys the fact that we need to be shrewd when we are dealing with evil. Jesus said, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves, therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. And we'd see a degree of that shrewdness in Jesus dealing with these opponents in this episode. Let's just have a look at the background to what takes place. Here's a bit of political background. Here's a map of uh, the area. After the death of Herod the Great, the region was split into three among his sons known as the Tetrarchs. Galilee and Perea in the north were ruled by Herod Antipas, and the Herodians in this passage come from that area. Then there's an area to the northeast which is ruled by Philip. And the populous area of Judea and Samaria in blue on this map was ruled by Archelaus. Now in the Roman Empire, when provinces were peaceful and required no troops, they were governed by the Senate from Rome and ruled by proconsuls. But areas that were less peaceful and required some military occupation were ruled by the emperor and governed by procurators. And Archelaus, who governed Judea and Samaria, proved to be a disaster. And in AD 6, his area came under direct Roman rule. And one of the consequences of that was that tribute was paid directly to the emperor. There were three taxes that were levied. One was a ground tax, you had to pay 10 percent of your grain, five percent of your wine. there was an income tax, one percent it's pretty low, I think by our standards today but then there was the poll tax. the poll tax was one denarius for every male aged between 14 and 65 and the poll tax was a cause of great dissension, just as it was under Margaret Thatcher in '86. A man called Judas of Galilee led a revolt with acts of terrorism all over Judea because this poll tax was basically a tax on existing. Different groups in society have different attitudes to this tax. There were the zealots, they refused to pay on principle. To pay the tax was tantamount to accepting Caesar's domination in their lives. There were the Pharisees, they grudgingly paid. And then there were the Herodians who supported the tax on principle. So that's the background to this passage, okay? Got it now? So here it is. Later, this is verse 13. They sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to catch Jesus in his words. Pharisees paid the tax grudgingly. Herodians supported the tax. And they came to him and said, teacher, we know that you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are, but you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Should we pay it or shouldn't we? I just want you to notice some of the tactics that um, are being used here. First of all, there's flattery. Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. Yes, Jesus is a man of integrity. But then they're going to say, you're not swayed by others because you pay no attention to who they are. In other words, we're expecting from you a very plain answer here, Jesus. And then they set the trap. Is it right to pay the poll tax to Caesar or not? Notice the binary choice. Is it right or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? Now. This may not be a conversation that you have had recently about paying taxes, but I guess that when you're engaging with your non-Christian friends, you find this kind of trap is set all the time. It's an either or kind of trap. Do you support gay marriage or are you homophobic? Are you a Zionist or are you anti-Semitic? Are you a narrow-minded bigot or do you believe that all religions are equally valid? Do you believe in creation or science? Those ring true? Recognize those sorts of questions? They are are falsely polarized questions, aren't they? You want to say yes and yes or no and no? And when we're faced with these false polarities, we can be in a lose lose situation. We can either lose our Christian distinctiveness, or we can create a small box with high walls in which we hide from the world. And both those are not options for us if we are to live as as, uh, proud followers of Jesus Christ. So let's just look at how Jesus deals with this trap. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it, he says. And they brought the coin and he asked them, whose image is this and whose inscription? And they replied, Caesar's. So here's a coin, a denarius from that time. And there you see uh, the image and the inscription. On one side it says, of Tiberius Caesar, son of the divine Augustus. And on the reverse size, it says Pontifex Maximus, high priest. Now, the very fact that his opponents used Roman currency implied a couple of things. First of all, they did actually recognize Roman rule. And secondly, these coins were, strictly speaking, the emperor's private property. Just says, you know, when we use a banknote, it's really the Bank of England's property, isn't it? It's it's a note that says, I promise to pay on demand, the bearer of the sum of excellence. So they were caught up in this whole dealing with Caesar, whether they liked it or not. And Jesus characteristically turns a question back on the questioner. Now you need to listen to this because the chances are this week you will find yourself in a situation like this. So we need to be aware. He turns the question back. Sometimes he says, well, I'll answer your question if you'll answer mine. Throughout this chapter, we see Jesus dealing with these kind of questions. In verse 18 to 27, there's a question about marriage. So uh, these Sadducees who don't believe in the resurrection come up to him and tell a a tale about a man who uh, had Uh, sorry, a woman who married seven brothers in succession after each of them died. And the question is, so in the resurrection, whose wife will will she be? As if you're stupid enough to believe in the resurrection, Jesus. And Jesus manages to take that and expose what they think about God and what it means to be human. And then there's a question about, Which of the commandments is the most important? And Jesus exposes the fact that the person asking that question believes that salvation is obtained by obeying the commandments. And so Jesus goes on and he says, okay, will you give back to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God's? Now, this is a really clever answer. So the question he says, he asks is, whose image is on the coin. So whose image is on the coin? Caesar's. And in whose image is Caesar made? God's. So by using the word image, he reminds his critics that humanity as a whole is made in the image of God. We belong to him. We represent his authority and rule. So his rule, the rule of God's kingdom, stands over and above every other human authority. I'm not going to extrapolate from this what Jesus' view of political systems was, but he clearly, there was a kind of pragmatism about this. You know, you you are where you are. You use this currency, but there's something bigger. There's a bigger question. You're trying to trap me on this false polarity, but I want to point you to something bigger, which is God's claim on the whole of life, the whole of humanity. And as Jesus continues his journey to the cross, it becomes evident that Caesar himself will have to face Jesus' challenge. And if you read ahead in Mark's gospel, and maybe you could do that uh, as we... uh, Well, you will do that as we continue through this series, but maybe particularly as we go into Holy Week. It's all about Jesus being the King of the Jews, the King of the Jews. Are you the King of the Jews? asked Pilate. Do you want me to release to you the King of the Jews? asked Pilate. What shall I do then with the one you call the King of the Jews? asked Pilate. And they began to call out to him, Hail, King of the Jews, that's the soldiers who are mocking him. And the written notice of charge against Jesus read, The king of the Jews. Well, why is it so important that Jesus was the king of the Jews? Well, this is a power struggle going on. The Jewish people, the Jewish leaders want Jesus crucified. And Pilate is using that as a way to demean them by saying, Well, here you are then, here's your king. And as they slug it out, these two powers, and Jesus is crucified, he slips into death and through the gateway of resurrection to emerge as the victor. In AD 70, the Romans destroyed the Jewish temple, these huge stones that the disciples pointed out. By 313 AD, the Emperor Constantine used the Edict of Milan to publish the acceptance of Christianity as a legitimate religion in the empire. And 10 years later, it became the official religion of the Roman Empire. Who won? So, I just want to ask a few questions about what does Jesus teach us about living in the city? The first is this. You cannot avoid confrontation. Because a city is a place where the powers gather and organize. The lines are drawn, and confrontation is inevitable. And you cannot be liked by everyone. So get used to it. One of the most subtle lines of con- confrontation is postmodern relativism which says, there are no absolutes. You have your truth, I have mine, and all we have to do is respect one another. Sounds so nice, doesn't it? And it's utter rubbish. If you believe in God. Because if you believe in God, there is truth. A God who reveals himself. There is truth. It's not just, not good enough to say, well, you have your views and I have mine. There is right and wrong. Secondly, following Jesus' confrontation, in the the confrontation that we face, we must not be naive. There will be traps set, false dualisms that we will be asked to choose between. And we're to be as wise as serpents and as innocent as doves. Uh, Daniel uh, and uh, a few others he's got together are putting together the top, I don't know, six or seven questions that we face in our culture today. Because I believe that every single one of us needs to be able to answer those questions. It's the same things that come up time and time again, isn't it? And instead of just staring like a rabbit in the headlights, we need to be equipped to be able to answer those questions. So Daniel's on that little project, quite how we wheel it out, is yet to be decided, maybe through uh, our communities, maybe other ways. Let's not be naive. Thirdly, in the confrontation, you don't have to be nasty and aggressive. Jesus wasn't, was he? You know how it ended? They were all amazed at him. It's not okay to be aggressive or disrespectful or shrill. It's not okay either to run away from the questions. People deserve an answer. And it is okay to say, I'm not sure, can I think about it and come back to you next time after talking to Daniel or Gareth or whoever. Fourthly, as you engage with the city, Our task is to point beyond the argument that confronts us. You know when people get really hit up about something, there's a reason. There's a reason that that question is so important to them. And there's a bigger question that they need to face. At the end of the day, your clever answers won't convince people to become Christians. They'll only become Christians as their eyes are opened to a far bigger reality, the kingdom of God and Jesus' claim as king. So, give to Caesar what is Caesar's. Give to Caesar what is Caesar's. If you, if you want all the benefits of a city, get involved with the city. If you want all the benefits of the city, engage with the city. Make it a better place. That's why we're here. That's why for St. Nick's, being rooted in the city center is so important. God has put us here. And also give to God what is God's. We are very privileged to live in Nottingham, it's a great city. We are privileged to live in a city where 60,000 students come to study and where people from all over the world seek refuge. We're privileged to live in a city where the church is so united. So let's follow Jesus into the city where the battle lines are drawn Let's pray for that wisdom from above. Let's not shy away from confrontation. Let's pray for God's kingdom to come. There will now follow a political action. We call it Holy Communion. But what we're doing as we celebrate Holy Communion We are declaring to all the powers of the city that there is one power to which they will submit and is the power that is most manifest in weakness as Jesus died for us and was raised from the dead. Amen.